For those of you who may not know Ines and Bobby, Ines and Bobby are um, church planters here in the local area. I have a hunch that there's a few people who are maybe planting with them that are among us this morning. Um, I had the great honor of working with Ines and Bobby separately in classes at Fuller, and they're, they're, they were great students, but they were also people who are, and I've come to even know even more so, are passionate about God's work in the world, um, that somehow funky little churches are a part of that work in the world, and they are called to, to start a funky church um, that, that, uh, that God's going to use for good, for good things. So um, some of you may recognize them. They've been worshiping with us off and on um, as they begin to work on this plant. Um, but we're just grateful to have you both. And um, could you all give them a warm round of applause to welcome them. Thank you. Well, thank you for having us this morning. This has been a beautiful place for us to be and abide and rest and heal. Um, we have been a part of uh, Mountainside off and on since we moved back here in August, and the same for the McBride family. Uh, this is my sister from another mister. Right. I will not try to introduce you. I'll let you go ahead and do that real briefly yourself. You want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Well, this is my brother from another mother, so <laughs> that's how we introduce each other. My name is Ines, and my husband is not here this morning. He's at urgent care with my child right now. <laughs> that, that is love right there. Uh, he is there so that we can here and preach and I am originally from Nicaragua. I am a Fuller alum. I also happen to be a, a chaplain at Fuller Seminary right now and uh, my brother here and I are planting a church right now and we're following the Spirit's leading and he has led us here to you all to be here for a season and so we're grateful for the season that we have with you all and it's an honor and privilege to be here today. My wife Amy is here uh, there in the back. She makes a friend wherever she goes so she probably knows half of you already. Uh, three of our kids are godly playing. I, they don't do that at home, but I'm glad that they do that here. Uh, their teachers and then their church teachers always say, oh, they're so sweet. And say, huh, it's good to hear. Um, it really is a gift. We, we are so passionate about the things that Mountainside is passionate about and being a part of the IRC gala, gala, however you say that word. Um, and just to see the work that God is doing here in this community. It's a privilege and joy to be here, so thank you for having us. Uh, Josh invited us to continue to talk about love, um, which is such a huge topic and such a huge measure of the fullness of God in Scripture. This morning, as we began to try to frame what that would look like, as we sought the Lord in prayer, we thought about this uh, covenantal friendship, uh, this partnership in the gospel, um, and the way that God has given us a, a theological framework to understand what he has knit together here, uh, a white, blue-eyed, brown-haired guy from the South, uh, born U.S. citizen uh, with my Latina sister, uh, Nicaraguan, not U.S. citizen, uh, that is knit together, not married, uh, but friends and partners, not married to each other, um, <laughs> married, I think, still, uh, but not to each other. And what does that look like for us to partner? We've thought about the Trinity a lot. We've thought about the mutuality and the oneness, the willingness of the Trinity to lift up and to lay down, to honor, um, to uphold, in no way diminishing the distinctives along the way, in no way making one of the other less, but constantly trying to magnify and constantly trying to see the fullness of God in the other and say in an act of love, we want to celebrate and highlight that. 
And so that is the theological framework that we're coming to from love today. And really our anchor is a prayer that we have for Mountainside that the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 3. So I'll let you walk us through that. Yes, so we wanted to give this, this, this framework of love from a, from a Trinitarian, from the Trinitarian-shaped uh, love that we see in Scripture. Um, our partnership and friendship is based on that, is rooted and grounded in that. And we want to pray this prayer and read this prayer from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 15, uh, I'm sorry, verses 14 through 21. And I want to give you a little bit of context for Ephesians. Uh, in the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul uh, gives us a reminder of our communal identity and mission. Uh, throughout the book, he's talking about identity and mission and that missions fl flows from identity. And there's three things that he reminds this community uh, in Ephesus. He remi reminds them who is the head of the church, and that is Christ, no, not human not man. He reminds them of the resources that they have, the richness and the glorious riches in, in Christ and in God that comes from God and therefore it is for God. And he reminds them of the power that they have, that this power, the church, their community has access to this power. He reminds them that all powers are subject to the power of God. So the powers of race, the powers of gender, all powers, the government powers, all powers are subject to God. So he reminds them who's the head, what resources they have, and the power that they have, and they have access to that power. He also tells them in chapter 3 that the mystery of the gospel for which he is in chains, he is imprisoned and in chains not for preaching Christ. He is imprisoned and in chains because he's preaching Gentile inclusion. He is in preaching an inclusive Christ, okay? That's why he is in chains, because uh, Gentiles are now heirs and co-heirs with Christ, and that's the mystery of the gospel that used to be known and now is being revealed. And so Paul says that in order for us to accomplish this mission, the mission of the church is for us to be reconciled with God and for us to be reconciled with each other. I'm from Nicaragua, so I'm going to stand a little bit. <laughs> Ooh, that chair is like tied. Um, <laughs> In order to accomplish this mission of the church to be reconciled with God and to be reconciled with each other, we're going to need a prayer. And we're going to need a Christ. And this is the prayer then that he prays. For this reason, for what reason? For what I just said. For this reason, I am in prison because I'm preaching an inclusive Christ. I'm preaching that Gentiles are now heirs and co-heirs with Christ. For this reason, I kneel. It causes him to go on his knees because he knows that we're going to need a prayer and we're going to need some power. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family every, uh, in heaven and on earth derives its name. So, toda familia en los cielos y en la tierra, toda familia derives its name from the Father. And I pray, Paul says, that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen all y'all. This is an all y'all kind of prayer. Can you say all y'all? All Thank you. This is an all y'all kind of prayer. I lived in 15 years in Arkansas. I know when to use the word. All y'all. <laughs> I know when to use it. That all of y'all would be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that all y'all being rooted and grounded, my other version says, I love rooted and established, rooted and grounded in love. That you may have the power 
together with all the Lord's holy people, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able, to God who is able, to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to God's power that is at work within us, to God be the glory, where? In the church, and in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Señor y Padre Celestial, te alabamos y te exaltamos, porque eres Rey de Reyes y Señor de Señores. Y te pedimos que en esta mañana tu Espíritu Santo pueda inundar este lugar. Que tu Espíritu Santo pueda iluminar nuestros ojos, nuestra mente y nuestros corazones. Y te pedimos, Señor, que tú, tu poder y tu amor pueda ser levantado y altamente exaltado en esta mañana. Te pedimos, Señor, por cada persona en este lugar que tu presencia pueda estar dentro de nosotros y que tu amor pueda fluir en nosotros. En el nombre de Cristo Jesús. Amen. If you look back through the prayer, it is a prayer for the church, and it's a communal prayer. It's not an individualistic prayer. It's an all-y'all kind of prayer, and it's also Trinitarian. We see God the Father, creator, originator, covenant keeper, there at the start, at the center of that prayer. And then weaving its way through is the love of Christ that permeates in the body of Christ together that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so this Trinitarian understanding of love, Paul has crafted a Trinitarian prayer for his church, for his church, for Mountainside Communion. And so this is two pastors praying this over this body, uh, saying that this is our prayer for you as well, that you would know this love and experience this love. We begin in our Trinitarian understanding with the look at God, our creator and covenant keeper. God the Father is how Paul talks about it. For this reason, I kneel, I go before Abba. I go before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And the first thing that I want us to think about this morning is that God, our creator and covenant keeper, calls us not only to keep covenant with God, but also to create covenant one with another. What would it look like for us to enter into covenant not only with God, but also to expand our imagination of covenant, our imagination, our willingness to commitment? Sorry, I'm near Nicaraguan, so I like to stand a little bit as well. Right, right. Um, what would it look like Go for ahead, us brother. to expand our belief, our, even our biblical framework for covenant? First, beyond just our understanding of covenant with God. And secondly, our understanding of covenant only in marriage, in not diminishing marital covenant. Um, but also understanding that there is more to covenant than simply what we would think of as a marital covenant and commitment, which is something that our culture has a hard time embracing and understanding in our day and age. And yet the two of us embody a covenant that is not bound in marriage. And as we open our eyes, we begin to see covenant beyond something like that. As we look at covenant in the scriptures, we see covenant all the way from uh, God and a rainbow in Noah. Uh, we see covenant as, as God puts his arm around Abram and tells him to look up at the skies. Mm -hmm. We see covenant on a mountaintop as he abides there and gives covenant to his people and says, bring this down. This is a new way to live life rooted and established in love. We see covenant in a kingly way with David and the people and even a promise of a new covenant through the prophets that this is not the only promise. I promise I will make an even better promise one day. Hold tight. The promise is coming. There will be a new covenant that I will establish. And so the real core, the anchor of this love is God's promise to his people.
people. And that's the anchor of our love. A promise kept by God, first and foremost, but a promise that he proposes, perhaps, we could begin to explore more and more with each other. Mm-hmm. It seems like the church ought to be a covenantal community, but when we think of covenant, sometimes we think contract. It feels like it's a contract with these clauses, and there's always an exit clause. It happens in friendships, it happens in, in policies, it happens in a, in, a, in, a, in a contract when you're renting a house, right? Sometimes we think it's con- contractual, but I think the covenant of God, it's not contractual, it's relational, it's not transactional, but we treat it that way. Even when we, when we come to church, if I don't like it, if I don't like the worship, I'll just leave, right? Uh, but, but church ought to be a covenantal community, and therefore, if it is covenantal, it should be cultivated. So this covenant that we're talking about, that we see throughout scripture, that, that Josh got us started up, and then the love part one section, God's hesed love, God's steadfast love, God uh, who always keeps his promises, knowing full well we won't be able to keep ours. That covenant love has no exit clause for God. So covenant love needs to be cultivated. And what are the, what, the factors that need, what we need to cultivate this? I think spiritual practices are those, those factors where, we, where covenant is cultivated in community. In uh, chapter 3, where the, where the passage that we're reading are, is today, um, chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, it says in 16, I pray, Paul says, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you that you be strengthened in your inner being with power, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you're being rooted and grounded in love. So I think often about your community garden. Josh was talking about the community garden last time as well. And think of it that way, that the soil of God's love is covenant love. And it needs to be cultivated. Covenant needs to be cultivated. Why do I say that? Because in verse 18, he says, I pray that all y'all may have the power to understand with all the saints. With all the saints. See, the Spirit could have said, you know, I pray that y'all have the power to understand the depth of Christ, the depth of how much he loves you. I, I just pray that you, you'll have to have that power and that understanding. But he says, the, the Spirit says, with all the saints. That means when, when you're just with yourself trying to understand God's love for you in a very individualistic way, you get an anemic kind of love. You get that kind of love that needs a little more pH balance in it, right? Like it needs fertilization in the soil because it's not right. And I don't understand much about soil, but I know in the South, the hydrangeas, if you want, the, if you want them to be bluer, you add something. If you want them to be more purple, you add something else, right? You change the balance of that to get more something. That's how it is with God's covenant love. If it's just between us and God, it's anemic. But if it's with all the saints, we need that power to understand with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know this love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So that kind of soil needs to be tended to. It needs to stand in the light. We need to pull out the weeds. We need to water it. We need to remove the rocks that sometimes somebody throws in there. And those spiritual practices that you all practice really well are hospitality. That tends and cultivates the soil. Truth-telling, that tends and cultivates the soil. Truth-receiving, that tends and cultivates the soil. Promise-keeping, that tends and cultivates the soil. Gratitude, that adds and fertilizes the soil. 
So church ought to be a covenantal community where the covenant needs to be cultivated because love has to be cultivated. It is not natural for my brother from another brother and I that we be friends. It is not natural. We don't look alike. We're polar opposites. We're the two most polarized uh, bodies in this nation right now as an immigrant, non-citizen woman from, not from the United States. We, we don't belong together, right? It's not natural. But this love that God is calling us, oh, it is supernatural. It takes Holy Spirit. It's going to take a prayer, and it's going to take a Christ, right? And it will be a revelation not only to ourselves as the church, but also to the world. That this is uh, a glimpse, it's, it's a witness. It's a witness of what this covenantal love can magnify about God's love. And, and our witness needs a witness. It needs the witness of covenant. It needs the witness that says we're in it. Uh, not just for richer and richer, right Josh? Uh, but for richer and poorer as well. That we're in it. Uh, with it all the way. As we think about a biblical imagination for covenant, uh, my mind goes to David and Jonathan in 1 Samuel 18. It goes to this willingness of these two men that are brothers uh, with a love for God, uh, not by blood, uh, but in what God has knit together in their souls. Uh, and a willingness that's filled with sacrifice to lay down it all. Jonathan says, I'll give you my robe, my tunic, um, I'll give you my bow and my arrow and my belt and my sword. Um, tell Inez she can have my robe, but you can't have my tunic. I'll it's take mine. the sword. I want um, the sword. I bet you do sword. want the sword. I'm going to stay away from you. Um, <laughs> David and Jonathan is, is a biblical picture of covenant that we don't yes. highlight in the same way that we highlight other covenants throughout Scripture. Naomi and Ruth, uh, a biblical understanding of covenant. Two women uh, where they say, even from different backgrounds, different places, different borders, yet your God will be my God. And perhaps an even braver thing to say, your people will be my people. Um, they knit, walk down the aisle together in covenant and say we are in it with each other. Paul and Timothy, where Paul can long for this dear son in the faith that he adopts into his home, into his heart. He says, I, I cry tears of joy with you and for you, and when I'm not with you, I long for you. Um, Jesus on the cross, looking at the disciple whom he loved and his own mama and says, even as I go, you're now family. Uh, I, I, I officiate and ordain this new family in this holy courthouse on the cross and says, you guys are together. Right. I knit you together in covenant. And so for us to begin to imagine a biblical picture of covenant that enters into relationship, as I think about our friendship, I think about a, a covenantal friendship, so I think about friends that I've been friends with for a long, long time, forever, ever kind of friends. The kind of friends that calls you and says, hey, I need $1,000, can you wire it right now? And you're like, hmm, I have a lot of questions. Uh, we'll get to those, but first, yeah, I'll wire you $1,000. I don't have it, but I will wire it to you um, and then ask questions later. It's those kind of covenantal commitment friendships, this core group of people that we're starting a church with, of covenantal friendship kind of folks. Um, the people that you know will lay down any and everything for. I think that's what Paul is calling us to in this letter. And that's a beautiful picture of love. So God's covenant love is that first point. Uh, that's the first part of the Trinity. And the second part, the second part is the perfect love of Christ. When we look at this letter again, at this letter in prayer in the letter, uh, when we look a little bit, we'll back up a little bit to chapter two, uh, the word covenant is mentioned there in chapter two and says, remember that y'all were at, uh, at, at that time without Christ, strangers to, to the covenants of promise. 
At one time, those of you who were far away now have been brought near. And so this love of Christ is a love that breaks down walls of hostility, and we see it here in chapter 2. So the type of, of, of Christ-like love breaks down walls of hostility. In verse 14 of chapter 2, he says, Christ himself is our peace, and in his flesh he has made both groups, Jew and Gentile, into one and has broken down the dividing wall. That is the hostility between us. The hostility that ought to be between us, Christ has broken it down. Christ has broken it down. He's saying, don't build the wall back up. Hey, don't build the wall back up that Christ has come to tear down between us. But because it's a wall of hostility. And often it's a visible wall, but often also there are invisible walls between us. And Christ has abolished that the law with his commandments and ordinances that he might create in Christ himself one new humanity, and that's a plural you, one new humanity in place of the two, in place of the two, thus making peace, and might reconcile both groups, so all groups, into one body, and that's a plural body, through the cross, thus putting to death the hostility through it through it. So Christ has come to put to death the hostility. Christ has come to abolish that hostility. And that vertical beam of the cross is us being reconciled with God, and the horizontal beam is us being reconciled with each other. Take out any one of those beams, and you don't got no cross. Take out any one of those beams, and you don't have a mission for the church, right? And so this wall of hostility um, that we see here it is the love, the disruptive love of Jesus and the radical love of Jesus that makes out of different people, one people, one common people. Again, the most polar opposites in the nation or two of the most polar opposites in the nation are not proximal to each other. What I have found that my friend Justin here told me one time as we were doing, as we were preparing for a, a different sermon, he said, Inez, Justin said, uh, the church is in a crisis of discipleship. We're talking about the, the Good Samaritan. And he said the church is in a crisis of discipleship because it doesn't know who is king. It doesn't know who its allegiance is to. It's in a crisis of discipleship when we say that we want uh, reconciliation. Uh, and we, we, what we mean by that is we just want proximity to people of color in the pew, but we don't want proximity to their pain outside of the pew. That is a cheap reconciliation. That's not what we see here. That's not the wall of hostility that Christ in his love and sacrifice came to tear down. It's a cheap reconciliation sometimes that we're offering the world and the world sees and says, I don't want that. I don't want that. But this, this extravagant love is a Jesus that builds this kind of table that you all celebrate really well every week. He is building a new table and it's built with the wood from a blood-stained cross. And your love is as deep as this table is large, as deep as it is wide say, as say it is that again. Say what again? Say, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the love is as deep as the table is large. That's right. Somebody this tweet that for us. Love is today. as deep as the table <laughs> is large, and I think that's one way to visualize it when we're reading it. When it's, where it says, "So that y'all will be able to understand." with the power to comprehend the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of that table. That's how big your, your love will be. That's how big your community will see uh, how this love is in Christ. My sister here is a surgeon and she's got the scalpel out today. I'm hearing a lot of mmm, mmm. 
Um, it's the kind of words that cut, uh, and the kind of words that bring healing as well. As we think about this love that we are called to know, it says that so that you would know that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith, that you'd be rooted and established in this love, and that you would then be able to grasp somehow how wide, how long, how high and deep is this love of Christ, to know this love that surpasses knowledge. And the way that we know this love is we also receive this love. When I think about Jesus on that beach shore cooking fish breakfast for his disciples, Peter jumps out of the boat and swims, ready to be reconciled with his Christ. The question that Jesus asks him first and foremost is not, Peter, what did you do? Um, Peter, are you still going to follow me? Uh, Peter, it's time to repent of all of your sins. It's, it's, do you love me? The question first and foremost from Christ unto us is do you love me? Do you know my love? And so what does it look like for us to know this love? And maybe first and foremost, not to consider ourselves Jesus' followers, but what about considering ourselves as Jesus' lovers? What does it look like for us to consider ourselves as though that know the love of Christ, that know it deep in our souls, deep in our spirits, and then to experience that one with another. And as and I have been friends for the past 10 years, and so we've had many opportunities uh, to know this love together. Uh, she will share this story more on her own at some point, but we were there in Honduras several years ago at a mountaintop uh, where her mom died in a plane crash when she was just a young girl. And we got the opportunity to walk up that mountain together, step by step, and to walk into a memorial to put her hands on the name of her mother, and for me as her brother to just stand and walk those steps with her. I did nothing special that day other than walk with my sister to her point of deepest pain. And in the van ride on the way home, what comes out of her mouth is this appreciation for the love of Christ, that there was a shared love in that moment, a deeper intimacy in that moment, simply by taking the steps with someone to their deepest point of pain. Years after that, we found ourselves in my parents' bathroom with my younger sister passed out on the floor right before us. She had just come off um, a huge high. She was addicted to heroin at the time. And I went and rescued her from a hotel, brought her back home. And all we did is sit there in the bathroom with her on the ground. And my sister here just stroked her hair. That's all she did is just sit on the bathroom floor and just stroke her hair. And all we did in that moment is experience brotherhood and sisterhood and the love of Christ in deep points of pain, deep mm. points of darkness, peaks and valleys. But we know Christ's love more uh, by being willing to enter into those sacred spaces together. Mm -hmm. uh, that covenantal love is in the daily mundane, like sitting on a bathroom floor where I remember stroking uh, Brittany's hair and also holding my brother's hand with my right hand and stroking her hair with my left, just standing in solidarity, sitting in solidarity and going up that mountain. It is also uh, uh, moments of, 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 um, of disagreements as well, the mundane of just conflict, you know. Uh, we, were, we were talking about, let's not just talk about the mountains and the valleys that are great stories, but, but if we're gonna be leaders of reconciliation and talk about reconciliation, we're probably gonna be given moments to become reconciled. <laughs> 
which means that if you, uh, it's one thing to take the, the girl out of Nicaragua, but you can't take the Nicaragua out of the girl. So when we, we have conflict, I say passionate, passionate conflict, right? We have opportunities to become reconciled. And, and it's those moments where one of our, one of the things that we say about conflict transformation for us is that we, we always come back to the table. One of us brings us back to the table of reconciliation. We give each other some space and we give each other some room and come back and say, hey brother, remember that time that you spoke to me in, in that sharp tone of voice like that hurt me and uh, it didn't feel good to me. And him saying, oh my gosh, I didn't even realize that I had done that. And to come to the table of reconciliation where we have committed because we have a covenant friendship to fully and faithfully reconcile because we have that power to be able to do that, to be able to go across divisions, across race, across ethnicity, across gender, uh, to come back to that table of reconciliation. So that we're not just talking about it theoretically, but we have practices that are grounded in experiences of being reconciled. And so we call each other to live into uh, a mutuality and a oneness of love that is shaped by our covenant and creator God, who keeps covenant and invites us into covenant. And then we express that covenantal commitment to each other in peaks and in valleys, um, in really high points and in really low points. In a conversation a week ago where uh, we found ourselves in a reconciling kind of conversation, we don't use that kind of churchy language in the moment. Um, we're just, we're talking it out in real time in the moment. And it was one of those things where Annette said all the right things in the conversation to me. So as we're sitting there talking, I'm receiving and I'm going, man, she is so good at this. She's so diplomatic. She'd be an incredible chaplain at a seminary. Uh, she is saying all the right things, but what I didn't hear was the tone of my sister. There was another tone that I've just grown to know over the past decade, where I'm sitting there at this moment going, I can either just receive this like really perfect, beautiful, diplomatic, she could have wrote this out as a paper, as a case study, for this is how you apologize to somebody when something has gone a little bit wrong. But then for me to go, you know, I need to take a risk and just say, hey, there's also a tone of my sister that I'm missing here. And maybe the thing that I need to hear in this moment is just the tone, is just, is just, even if it's not all the right words, maybe the words aren't perfect, but maybe the presence of you is, is, is there. Maybe the fullness of your presence is there, even if all the words aren't fully perfect. And so we give each other opportunities, invitations into that to say, you don't have to be perfect right now, but just be fully present, all of you, even if it's not saying the exact right things. And that's how we experience the love of Christ. This third part is the movement of the spirit in our lives in the movement of the spirit in our bodies. And in this part, I think leaves the most of the imagination. And so for us, this is a little bit less prescriptive. Uh, this is a little bit more prayerful. As we think about Mountainside in 2020 and the work that God has ahead for this church, the love that God has knit together for this church, what would it look like for the limitations of love to be expanded here? Especially in a church where you do so much good already. Uh, where you're so kind and generous and sacrificial and joyful already, where you walk into this space, it feels safe and loving and inviting and warm already. How could the Holy Spirit continue to expand your love? What are the limits of your love? What would it look like to deeply reflect on that? Where are we still held up in love? And as we look to the book of Acts, we see God breaking forth the limits of love with his people left and right. We see God moving his people into a holy and new imagination. So for just these last couple of minutes before we pray and come to the table together, we just want to sit and ponder for a second 
uh, or stand and ponder for a yes. second uh, the movement of the spirit and how that invites us into a greater love. When I see, when I look at the book of Acts, um, I see a continuation of God's hesed love through the Old Testament, a continuation of the, the love of Christ through the Gospels, and uh, I see the presence of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Even though the word agape or phileo does not exist in the book of Acts, the, 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 the word love is not mentioned there. Love is still a protagonist in the, in the book. And so what I see in Acts 1 and 2 is that this Holy Spirit is pushing past the human constructions of, of, of relationships and pushing past those limits to push each other towards the other. And so in Acts 1 and 2, when the Holy Spirit comes upon the ones who are gathered, Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there, or the other women are there, the disciples are there. It is pushing past their limitations, and, and when they're gathered together, a great wind comes, and, and they speak in different languages. And so what does love look like at the beginning of the creation of the church? of the creation narrative of the church, the birth of the church. What I see, what I see is a movement of the spirit of a border-crossing God and a boundary-breaking spirit. A border-crossing God and a boundary-breaking spirit that when you read the book of Acts and if you highlight every time that you see the word Holy Spirit and then if you highlight all the border-crossings there, they're geographical, they're socioeconomic, they're physical, they're gender, they're, they're race and ethnicity, all of those border crossings shows a love that's just pulsating through. It's like a birthing process. When the children come in, it's like a birthing process um, of the church being birthed, and it's pushing us towards the other. As we move from Acts 1 and 2 to Acts chapter 6, we see this moment where the Hellenistic Jews are complaining because they're not receiving the same love as the others. Uh, so what does it look like for us to have ears to hear where we're not receiving the same love? What does it look like for Mountainside to be good neighbors, to be good listeners, to be good lovers? So my hope for Mountainside for 2020 and beyond is a new imagination for the Holy Spirit, a new imagination for God to raise up a voice, to raise up a sound, to raise up a new thing. Um, and as you have this beautiful quote from yeah. Dr. King, and I'm going I'm to invite her to, to kind of speak this over this body um, and then pray us a prayer and lead us to the table. Uh, because I think that's where this covenant love, this Christ-shaped love, uh, this spirit-empowered love from this prayer, I think it leads us back to this table. We were talking about how the Holy Spirit is like a heartbeat, and Bobby was telling me like a drum beat in the book of Acts. So a heartbeat and a drum beat, uh, we feel like the Holy Spirit is a heartbeat of heaven. And so as, as it's this drum beat, it reminded me of one of Dr. King's uh, speeches called The Drum Major Instinct. And you may have heard it before, you may have read it before. And he's talking about, you know, when that day comes when I die, and, and it's the day of my funeral. He says, um, and this is my prayer for, for you all, not that I want a funeral for this church, but he says, I don't want a long funeral. Um, if you get someone to deliver the eulogy, tell them not to talk too long. Don't talk and don't mention that I got a Nobel Peace Prize. Don't mention that I got three or 400 awards. That's not important. Don't say where I went to school. I'd like somebody to mention that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to give his life serving others. I'd like for somebody to say that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to love somebody. I want you to say that day that I tried to be right on the war question. Now, isn't that timely? 
Um, I want you to be able to say that day that I did try to feed the hungry, Dr. King says, and I want you to be able to say that day that I did try in my life to clothe those who were naked. I want you to say on that day that I did try in my life to visit those who were in prison. I want you to say that I tried to love and serve humanity, and that's a drumbeat. Yes, if you want to say that I was a drum major, say that I was a drum major for justice. Say that I was a drum major for peace. Say that I was a drum major for righteousness. And I think our, our prayer for Mountainside community is to be this drum major, and you already have been, to continue to be this drum major for justice, for righteousness, in all the works that you are doing. That you would do so grounded and rooted in the soil of God's covenant love. That you would do so grounded and rooted in the light of the love of Christ. And that you would do so grounded and empowered and overshadowed by this powerful Holy Spirit that's going to continue pushing the limitations of our own human love. So we want to pray for, for you all, for all of y'all, before we enter into a time of communion. So uh, let us do that. God, for this reason, we kneel before you and we ask um, that your spirit would overshadow and continue overshadowing this community, uh, this beautiful community of children, of women and men of all walks of life. I pray that this community would be rooted and grounded in the soil of your covenant love, God, that they would be able to cultivate this love day in and day out, whether people see it or not that they would be able to pull the weeds when it's time to pull out the weeds, that they would be able to, to add fertilizer to the soil when it needs more fertilizer, that they would be able to stand in the love of Christ, the one that tears down walls and reaches for the other, that they will be able to do so with God's holy imagination, just like in the book of Acts, God. I pray that this mountainside communion would be always a church that is serving a long and deep and tall and wide table. So God, as we enter into this time of communion, thank you for this central ritual moment of reminder that we all come to the table because of your love. None of us are worthy but we come to the table because of your scandalous, radical, and disrupted love, God. So we come to you this morning asking that you would respond to our prayers and that through this church, you will be able to do immeasurably more than they can even ask or imagine the rest of this year, according to the power, the Holy Spirit power that is at work within them. In Jesus' name, we ask these prayers, this prayer for our sisters and brothers. Amen and amen. Can we put the prayer back up here one more time? Is that possible? Mountainside, I would love for us to say this together, uh, to read this aloud, and children who can read in the house, uh, Samuel, seven-year-old, you're ready, you're gonna lead us in this prayer? No, I'm just kidding, you're off the hook. Um, let's say this prayer together, Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. For this reason, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your unity so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And, and to, to know, know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. 
now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I'd like to invite the servers and the anointers to come forward before we welcome you all to this table. At Mountainside, all of you all celebrate an open table. So if you're a follower of Christ or you've never done this before, this table is for you and you're welcome to come to the table. La noche antes de que Jesús fuera entregado, Jesús tomó pan, lo partió y dio gracias diciendo, este es mi cuerpo que por ustedes es partido, hagan esto en memoria de mí. Same way that he broke the bread, he also poured out his blood. And he said, This poured out blood is the blood of the new covenant. The covenant that I promised long ago, I pour out for you, for all people and for all generations, that they may come and receive the blood of Christ, both in and upon them. <laughs> 